This information is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is offered with the understanding that the presenters are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert advice is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Welcome to the Real Estate Financial Planner Inside the Numbers Podcast. I am your host, James Orr. This is Episode 7. So in Episode 7, Norm and Norma decide to buy one owner-occupant property and otherwise invest the rest of their money in stocks. So let's walk through how we set up this scenario so you can actually download it to your own account, make any modifications you want to. Okay, so I've clicked into the scenario itself. And I'm just going to run you through what we use for all of our assumptions and how we set it up. That way, if you want to modify it, you can do it yourself. So uh, for stereo name, you can name it whatever you want. In this case, we named it Episode 7, Norman Norma, by one owner-occupant property, all stocks. We're running this for 720 months, which if my math is right, I think that's 60 years. You can name the people in here. We tend not to do that. This is a feature that's going to be added at some point uh, where you can have names on a chart showing how old people are. But right now, it doesn't work. Uh, so effective income tax rate shows you what their effective income tax rate is. You can go ahead and click on this link here in order to calculate approximately what your effective income tax rate is based on how much income you make and what area of the country you live in. Uh, we use 17.85% for them uh, based on exactly how much they're earning. Uh, inflation rate, we're using 3% here. In the advanced modeling, inflation rate is variable, so uh, that becomes a change thing using a rule. But for now, we're just using a static 3% for the entire scenario. Uh, the mortgage interest rate, 5.5% is the owner-occupant 5% down interest rate. That's pretty current as to what we're seeing in our marketplace as of the time of this recording. Uh, of course, that'll change over time, and you'll want to go change that. And honestly, this isn't used unless they do refinances. The interest rate in the property itself is what is used. So uh, this is just kind of reminding us what the interest rate is for the entire scenario. Uh, minimum target monthly income retirement. So they're earning $6,000 a month. But they're saving $1,000, so they're really living on $5,000 a month. So they set their minimum target monthly income in retirement, their MTMIR, to be $5,000. This is how much money their investments need to produce for them to be considered financially independent at a minimum level. That's why it says minimum there. And then their ideal lifestyle, if they could, in a dream world, live their ideal lifestyle, they would be earning $10,000 a month. And so they set their ideal target monthly income in retirement, their ITMIR, set to $10,000. Um, one of the things that we realized when we ran this scenario, and you saw this in the uh, the main podcast, is that when they pay off their mortgage, their expenses go way down. And so their target amount they need in retirement actually goes down too by their mortgage payment. And this is the toggle button as to whether to do that or not. So you can select yes, adjust the minimum target monthly income retirement and the uh, ideal target monthly income retirement when the owner-occupant mortgage is paid off, and then it will reduce that by the principal and interest part of their payment, not the taxes, not the insurance, or anything like that, just the principal and interest, the payment for the mortgage, because they figure once the mortgage is paid off, they no longer need to budget that in their accounts for their retirement money. And so you could toggle whether or not you do want the software to adjust for that or not. In this case, we did adjust for it, so we left it on yes. Uh, but if you say, hey, listen, I don't want to have my minimum target monthly income retirement actually adjust down, you can go ahead and set that to no, leave MTMIR and ITMIR alone when owner-occupant mortgage is paid off. For now, we've left it at yes. They set their yearly safe withdrawal rate to 4%, so that's what we've used for that. 
This is just a description of what's going on. You can write whatever you want here. This is notes to yourself about what you're doing in the scenario, why you use certain assumptions the way you did. Uh, for us, we just kind of wrote some notes about their situation, but this isn't used anywhere. It's just sort of notes for you. We're only running one scenario here. If you had uh, Monte Carlo access, you'd be able to run multiple scenarios to do modeling of variable rates and, and a whole bunch of different stuff there if we're just using that one right now. And we have this set up so that we can ha have you copy and if you copy uh, make a copy of it to your own account. So we have it set up so that we could share this with anybody. That way, if somebody wants to go view the blueprint, they can use that link. If they want to copy it, they can use this thing. If you wanted to just have uh, only you accessible uh, to the scenario when you make it in your own account, just switch it to only you. Or if you want to be able to share this with somebody, but just a certain number of people, you can actually do uh, anyone with a special link. And we'll create a random password for you in that link and send it to you so that you can go ahead and share that link. And then, of course, if you change that link, then someone will not be able to access that anymore. So accounts, everyone has this default cash account. It starts at zero um, and always earns zero percent. It's sort of like the way to determine if uh, they ever needed more money than was in their other accounts. So if we go negative uh, in any of these other accounts, it actually comes out of this default cash account and shows us when we've used more than the money we had in the system at the time. So the all-in-one account, though, is their other account. They are starting off with $10,000, which is the amount they saved between both of them. And that account is earning 8% per year fixed in the advanced uh, Real Estate Financial Planner podcast, we do make this variable as well, and it's invested in the stock market. We're assuming they're investing in something like index funds, and it runs for the entire scenario. So you can go click through this and see that, uh, you know, the assumptions. We can name it whatever we want. It doesn't really matter what you name it. We just call it the all-in-one account because we simplified all of their accounts into just one bucket account where they have the majority of their money. And then opening account balance, you can see all the different assumptions we use there. So I'll go back. Um, so that's it for that. So property. So they are going to buy one property and it's going to be their owner occupant property. So let's walk through what we use for the assumptions. And you can see at a glance that because they're putting 5% down, this is negative cash flow. So if they were going to convert this to a rental with 5% down, they would have negative cash flow in this particular property. Uh, you could see that using the cash flow power meter. The cash flow power meter, all this stuff in red shows that they would have negative cash flow, uh, including debt pay down. The yellow portion shows where they would have negative cash flow, except when they include the cash flow from depreciation, the tax benefits of winning the rental property. So this is the amount of um, cash flow from depreciation they get, and it'd still be negative, except when you take into account the tax benefits. This green area shows where it would be positive if they were managing the property themselves, and this dark green area shows where the rent, where the uh, property would be positive cash flow if they had a professional property manager. This black line shows you where this property is. And so in this case, they have negative cash flow. Um, while they're having, while they're including debt pay down. If this is this is the line showing if it was an interest only loan that they would have positive cash flow up to this point. Okay, so uh, this is dynamic dynamic property, which means it's a property template. We could buy more than one of them. We're going to just buy one, but we can buy more than one. So that's what makes it a dynamic property. Or if it's a property you already own, has specific details, and you only own one of them, you can go ahead and select already own property and put your own properties in there with the details about when you bought them, what they're worth, and so on and so forth. But this is uh, not an already owned property. This is a dynamic property. And it's a nomad property. Nomad properties are special properties where you move into them, you live in them, and then once you buy another owner-occupant property, you can convert that previous one to a rental property. And that's what nomad strategy is. It's about buying properties as an owner-occupant, moving in, living there for a year, and then converting that property to a rental after time. And so we've set this up as a nomad property to begin with. If you only buy one, it doesn't matter. It's always just an owner-occupant property and it stays that way. But if you never bought it, if you ever bought a second property, then this would be replaced. And so that's what nomad properties are. 
Uh, we just named this property. You can put in the actual address if you have the property in mind. We just call this a typical nomad rental property. Uh, you can name it whatever you want. Name's not used anywhere. It's just for you to identify when you see it in the list or on a chart. We didn't put a specific city, state, or zip code. This is just used for you. You can kind of keep track of where your properties are if you want to. It's not used. It's not required anywhere either. So this is a $375,000 property. That's what it's worth after everything has been done. It's fixed up. Um, but that's what the after-repaired value is, $375,000. And they're buying it. Norm and Norma are buying it for $375,000. So they're buying it for what it's valued at. If you're buying it at a discount, you can adjust these so that one is lower than the other. If you had to pay a premium over what it was worth, like let's say you only pays for $375,000, but you had to pay $380,000. If you were in a really crazy market and you were having to bid properties up in order to get your offer accepted, you could do that as well. In this case, they were able to get it for what it's worth. $375,000 was what it's worth. And $375,000 is what they're purchasing for. The mortgage interest rate, they're using 5.5%. That is the rate for a 5% down conventional loan. Uh, and there's going to be PMI. I'll show you that here in a second. So mortgage term. So we're going to do a 30-year loan, 360 months. They're going to put 5% down on the property. So the loan amount is going to be 356250 Their monthly payment is going to be 202275 The principal interest tax insurance is going to be 238213 I'll show you where the uh, tax insurance are a little bit later. And then the PITI plus HOA plus PMI is about $2,500.88. They are getting private mortgage insurance. Whenever you put less than 20% down, you usually have PMI. There's a couple of weird exceptions, like the VA loan technically doesn't have PMI. Instead, it has a funding fee, which is the insurance for the Veterans Administration uh, in case you default. But PMI is an insurance that the buyer pays to protect the lender in exchange for the lender accepting a lower down payment on the loan. So in this case, uh, the yearly private mortgage insurance rate is 0.4%, and that drops off when they get to 80% loan to value. So the private mortgage insurance payment, we just do a calculation. It's on the loan amount. It's $118.75 per month. We assume they have 1% in closing costs. So they're getting the rate where it doesn't really have any upfront points, but there are some closing costs associated with getting the loan. So uh, 1% is 375. I'm sorry, $3,750. That's what 1% is. Uh, Rent-ready costs, this house is in really good condition and they're moving in, so it doesn't really matter anyway uh, as far as rent-ready costs, so we're using $0 there. They were unable to negotiate with the seller to get the seller to pay any seller concessions, so we're using 0 for uh, seller concessions percentage and dollar there. The land value percent, we're saying that the, the you can only depreciate the actual building, you can't depreciate land, and so we need to know approximately what the value of the land is. So when we do our depreciation calculations, we can do those correctly. So we're assuming that the land is valued at about 0.50, or I'm sorry, 15% of the purchase price. So we're saying that the land is worth whatever that is, 15% of the property value looks like, uh, I don't know if I calculate that out for you here, but. Yeah, I don't know if I do the calculation, but it's 15% of the purchase price. And so we're using that. If you're a CPA or you know that your land value percentages are different where you live, go ahead and adjust that number. For the most part, I'd leave that 15% unless you know otherwise. So what account are they going to pull their down payment from? They're going to pull it from that all-in-one account. What account are they going to put any income and expenses, like the rent and the mortgage payments? Where are they going to pull that from? And we're doing that from the all-in-one account as well. In most cases, you're never going to have different accounts here. We do have it set up differently so that if you were had a, a special savings account for down payments and then you had all your operating expenses coming out of another account, you could separate them out. But the overwhelming majority of people, in fact, I can't remember anyone ever separating these out, but you could if you wanted to. So these are usually the same. 
So appreciation rate, we're assuming that property values are going up 3%. This is another field that in the advanced episodes, we have a random appreciation rate. Sometimes property values go up, sometimes they go down, but they usually tend to cluster around 3% in the modeling that we do advanced. You could change those assumptions if you wanted to do it yourself. But right now we're using 3% and that's fixed. In the advanced episode, that does become variable. Um, right now we're not doing any rent. So we're not starting to rent after any period of time. If we were going to rent this property, we were assuming that we could get $2,600 a month for rent on this property at the start and that rents were going up at 3%. Again, we're not renting it, so this really doesn't come into play. But if you were to buy a second property or third property, which is what we're going to do with this particular property, when they do the nomad strategy, which we're going to model in a future episode, then they'll be buying multiples of these properties and they're not going to be buying uh, every property at the same price. They're going to buy it at 375 as soon as they do it. But then the next one's going to be more expensive. The next one's going to be more expensive. And the next one's rent will start at 2600 but the next one they do and later on the rents are a little bit more expensive so we do model that in the software and so it's three percent per year for rent depreciation in that if you're getting any other monthly income on the property like you were renting out uh, an extra garage space or you were uh, getting a little extra income for uh, washer and dryer or something like that you could put in other monthly income and then if you have your other monthly income in, like appreciating at a different rate than rents you can adjust that separately so if you think, hey, look, it's $50 and it's never going to go up above $50, you can set it to be zero. Or if you're like, hey, it's $50, but this is going to grow faster than what rents are going up, you can set your own different appreciation rate here. In this case, we didn't do anything uh, because we don't have any other monthly income coming in from it. For vacancy, we're assuming that if they were renting the property, they were managing it really well and they had a 3% vacancy. That's for someone who's really starting, you know, 60, 90 days ahead of time to find their tenant. They're doing all the maintenance on the property before the property turn. So they're, they're really optimizing their rent um, kind of procedures to, to get a 3% vacancy. If re vacancy rate is higher in your market, go ahead and adjust that. For property taxes, we're using 0.75% of the value of the property per year in taxes. As the property value goes up, so does property taxes. And so it's estimated to be about $2,800 per year about $234.38 per month based on the purchase price and that rate. Property insurance, we're using 0.4%. So that's about $1,500 a year, about $125 a month. Uh, and that also adjusts when the property value is up. Insurance does cost more with more expensive properties. So as your property increases in value, you would expect your insurance policy to go up so that if you have a problem with something, the insurance company can replace your property if it burns down or something like that. Uh, yearly HOA, there's no HOA in this particular case. If you had one, you'd put it in here. And if the HOA appreciation rate, if, H, if your HOA fee is going to go up faster than inflation or something like that, you could adjust that. Otherwise, we have it set to be equal to inflation at 3%. Any other monthly utilities? Usually we set for an owner-occupant property, we set the monthly utilities to be included in their personal expenses. It's not shown here. This is really tended to be used for when you have a uh, investment property and the landlord is paying some of the utilities. For example, you have a fourplex and there's a common area and you have a separate electric bill for that common area. That's usually where you'd put this in here. Or if you had, you know, you're renting out by the room and you had to pay utilities on that, you can go ahead and adjust those. In this particular case, we're assuming that if they were renting it, which they're not renting in this scenario, that uh, the landlord would pay all the utilities. I'm sorry, that the, uh, the uh, owner-occupant, the, the tenant would pay all the utilities in that case. Uh, if utilities are appreciating at a different rate, that's the number there. If there's any other monthly expenses, you know, lawn care, snow care, anything like that, that you are responsible for as a landlord, you'd put those in here. And then what those are appreciating, rate, appreciating at, different rates for that. Uh, maintenance rate, this is only for rentals. This does not get calculated for owner-occupants. Owner-occupant uh, maintenance is uh, included in their own personal expenses. So this would be 10% because it's 10% of the rents. And so that's $252.20 per month. 
property management, if, if they were going to have this as a rental, they'd be managing it themselves. If you were going to hire a property manager and you were going to convert this to a rental, you use 10% here or whatever your number is for that. This just walks you through some math for operating expenses, walks you through what's included and then what the numbers are for that. Then we do a net operating income calculation. We do the cap rate calculation. We show you where your monthly cash flow is. And, and for example, if they were to convert this to a rental, it would be negative $231.08 per month. That's why it's uh, in that red area all the way at the top for the cash flow power meter. Uh, we calculate what break-even rent would be if you were wondering what it would be for break-even. And then if you had you know, positive $25 a month in cash flow or negative $25 a month, we show you what those numbers are as well. And then CapEx, if you uh, are budgeting for capital expenses, just you put a number in here. Since we're not renting it out, we're assuming CapEx is zero. Uh, CapEx is uh, appreciated 3%, but it's zero. It's 3% of zero, so it's always going to be zero. And then when calculating your true net equity, what's your equity after um, all the expenses of a sale, we can put in numbers here for this. So 1% of the cost of the property for closing costs is what we assumed, 6% for real estate commissions, 25% of the amount you took in depreciation as your depreciation recapture tax, and then 15% of any gains for capital gains tax. So these numbers are used when you calculate true net equity, which we'll have to do in a future episode. I'm not gonna go into detail on that right now, but this is where those numbers are for setting those assumptions. If you don't know what your numbers are, these are probably pretty good ones to use as defaults. Uh, if you do know that, hey, look, my closing costs are gonna be my much higher. I live in a market where closing costs are significantly higher than that, or real estate commissions here are lower, or real estate commissions are higher. Go ahead and use whatever is reality for your market. And then if you happen to be in a different um, kind of like tax bracket for your depreciation recapture, you know you're going to be in that really low tax bracket. You're not going to have depreciation a certain year. You can go ahead and adjust that. Or if you're living in the property for two years at less five and you're not going to have capital gains on it, um, you know, up to a certain exemption, you can go ahead and adjust those numbers too. Okay. So those are the assumptions for that. There's just some numbers down here showing you what the returns are but those are the actual inputs. Okay, so that's the property. Let's look at the rules we have. So again, when we did this the last episode inside the numbers, we talked about the rules we use for the assumptions and they're, they're the same. So the paycheck, we set it up into norm and normas. They have separate paychecks. It's gonna run for the entire scenario. It's gonna show that right there. Um, this is the scenario that it's running in. So you can actually have a rule that runs in more than one scenario. Uh, and then they're going to put that into their all-in-one account, and they're earning $3,000 a month, and they have zero expenses on that money, but it's at a 17.85% tax rate. So it's going to be $3,000 you know, minus the 17.85% in their tax rate, and that's because they, they earn combined between the two of them, $72,000 a year, $6,000 a month combined, so each of them earns $3,000. So this is just their income portion of the personal paycheck and personal expenses. Then we have a separate rule for personal living expenses. So this is their living expenses for the thing. And we're going to take those out of that all-in-one account and they're earning $0. So there's no income on that, but then their personal expenses are $3,930 a month. And that includes, that number already includes $1,800 uh, in rent. So when they convert their property, when they convert from being a renter to an owner occupant, these expenses will go down by 1800, but all of the expenses of running the property, the uh, principal and interest, the taxes, the insurance, all of those then get added as expenses to them. So their expenses are, these are just going to be their living expenses, not including their housing um, after they buy a property. And the $1,800 is how much they've set aside as what part of their overall expenses that they're including in their, um, in their expenses for rent. So you can see it on here. This You can use whatever name you want, just really it's for your description only. It's applying this rule to this scenario. We're doing those all-in-one accounts for both those. They're not having a paycheck in this one. We have two separate rules for the $3,000 a month each on those. And then the personal expenses is right here. 
and then the dollar adjustment after buying owner occupants. So this is the amount that they would be paying in rent. So we just show that where that was. And then we're adjusting these with inflation. So this 39.30 is increasing each month with inflation. So it gets more expensive over time. And because this is an expense, we don't have a tax rate here. You put one in, it doesn't do anything because the tax rate gets taxes, the paycheck portion and it's paycheck zero. So that's why we have the taxes for the other one. Okay, so that's the assumptions for that. So we covered these two paychecks and then their personal expenses. And then we have social security for both of them. So we assume that social security will start at age 67 for both of them. It'll run through month 552. So we calculated how long it will be. They're age 21 right now. So what is that? Uh, 46 years from now. So 552 months must be about 46 years. We'll have to do the math to double check that. But about 552 months from now, uh, they are going to get social security. It's going to go into that all-in-one account. And it's going to be 1553, excuse me, per month in passive income. So 1553 each from Social Security at an 18.06 tax rate. So we assume what the tax rate will be for them at that time. And that will start. Now, technically, this isn't modeled perfectly, right? Because if they stop working after 20 years, then they really didn't work through age 67. So the amount of Social Security that they're getting is probably going to be a little bit lower. So what you'd probably want to do if you were doing this modeling for yourself with real numbers is you'd probably want to go and say, look, you know, I'm going to run this through and say Social Security is about this if I worked all the way through 67. And then when you see when you actually end up achieving financial independence, then go ahead back into Social Security and say, what if I stopped working at whatever point that is in the future when you actually stopped working and see what Social Security would be for you then? Go ahead and plug that number in. It'll be a little bit more conservative for you because it'll be a little bit less if you're not working all the way through to age that you're collecting Social Security, okay? So those are the two Social Security rules. They provide passive income. They start at that uh, age 67 for both of them, and it's that 1553 adjusted for inflation. So it does adjust up. If you don't believe that Social Security will be there and you want to use, you could actually remove it completely, or if you believe that the number is going to be you know, a, a fraction of what it is right now because you believe they're going to kind of decrease benefits, go ahead and adjust those numbers and do it that way. Um, you could you could do it any way you want there, but that's what it is. And if you don't believe that, it's going to adjust with inflation in the future. It does right now. It does do cost of living adjustments um, every year, I believe. And so you can go ahead and look at the, what those are. But if you don't believe that'll be the case, you can go ahead and adjust this so that it's not doing inflation adjusted anymore. Uh, just go ahead and check off, click off this box as you're not doing it. Okay, so those are the two passive income. And then here's the last rule. This is a new rule that we added. This is the one that buys the property. And it runs for the entire scenario. It says, hey, buy one owner-occupant property. That's what we named it. It, doesn't, it could be whatever you want to be named. And this is the one scenario we're doing here. And what property are we buying? We're buying this typical nomad rental property. And we put these little asterisks for nomad next to it to show which ones are nomad and which ones are not, just so you can kind of see if you have properties that are named similar. So uh, this is typical nomad property. And then which account are we looking for for the down payment? We're looking for that all-in-one account. Oh, by the way, this rule is buy a property when the account has a down payment. That's the rule name. So, uh, so that's the type of rule that it is. And so we're saying, look, what account do we want to check to make sure we have a down payment? Well, we're checking that all-in-one account. And we're saying, hey, look, you need to have this amount of money in your account. So $0, and you can adjust that for inflation or not, plus six months of reserves for the property I'm about to buy. So I need to have six months of reserves for the property plus the down payment in order to be able to do it. Uh, but not any additional money. So if you wanted to say, look, I want $10,000 plus the down payment plus six months, you'd put $10,000 here because that's $10,000 in addition to the down payment and all this other reserve stuff. So in this case, we're saying six months of reserves for this property. Uh, we could say a certain number of reserves for personal expenses if you want to do that too. In this case, we're saying zero extra for personal expenses. I already got six months reserves for the property. Um, and 
this number reserves for all of our other properties. So you're like, look, I only want to buy properties once I have six months reserves for all the other properties that I own. It'll do that calculation for you. And then how many of these properties to buy? If we were going to buy 10 of them, if we were going to nomad and buy one as frequently as we could, you know, no closer than one year apart, we could go ahead and adjust this and say 10 here. In this case, we're only buying one because they're only buying one owner-occupant property. And so we set it up and we say it's one property here. And then do we want to check debt to income? In most cases, folks are going to be using a traditional loan. They're going to go get qualified. They're going to buy the property. But there are some people that are doing creative real estate financing where debt to income is not going to come into play at all. And so you could toggle whether or not you want to check debt to income. Uh, in this case, we are because you are getting a traditional loan. But you could say, I'm not going to, I'm going to ignore debt to income and click this off. And then it wouldn't take, it doesn't do a calculation to see what your debt to income is when you buy the property to make sure that you can buy it. But in this case, we are going to check that. We're going to say that you need to have at least a 45% debt-to-income ratio or better in order to buy it. And then if you were a real estate agent, you were earning a commission when you buy properties or you somehow got paid when you buy the property, you can put that in here. For most people, it's probably not going to be that case unless they are a real estate agent to do that. And then in this case, if you were buying more other properties, uh, more additional properties, like buying more than one, you could say, hey, should I be able to do cash out refinances on my other properties to also see if I can buy these? And so we can allow or disallow um, cash out refinances on this particular thing to do that. And what the maximum loan to value is and what the cost in points in order to get at that money would be. So that's what this rule shows. That will allow us to go buy a property provided they have enough down payments plus that six months of reserves on this property. Um, and it was, and well, I guess there's nothing to adjust for inflation because the six months of reserves are going to be based on the property itself, which will adjust automatically. Um, so there's no reserves, uh, no uh, inflation adjustment there. Uh, but it does those, and you need to make sure you have a 45% debt to income based on the property you're buying, which it does the calculations for. So that's it. That's how we uh, set up this particular scenario. Feel free to copy it to your own account, then make any modifications. Then when you're ready, go ahead and click run analysis, and it will run the analysis. Then click on the little chart icon. Uh, to be able to see this. So I'll show you what the chart kind of looks like. We go back one. So this is the scenario we have set up here. So this is the, the button to click and rerun it. And then this is the icon for seeing the charts for this particular scenario. If you want to edit it, you can click on this or the title itself. If you want to make a copy of it so that you can go ahead and uh, you know modify something, say, well, what if I make a little bit extra per month? Or what if my properties are a little more expensive? You can go ahead and copy it. And of course, if you want to delete it, you can delete it there. And this just summarizes some of those numbers, shows you that you have two accounts, that default cash account, that uh, all-in-one account. We bought one property. There were six rules total that we achieved minimum target monthly income retirement at month 396. We achieved the ideal target monthly income retirement at month 654. We never achieved two times our ideal. Uh, we had a net worth of $14.44 million in year 60, month 720, that our target monthly income um, for retirement is $5,000, 4% staple withdrawal rate. We're starting this basically in May of 2022. And uh, this is the max amount of income required, $6,821.86. And realize that this number may be an income that they need to wait until their income increases with inflation to get to, to be able to qualify for that purchase, because they didn't buy this property until I think month like 33 or something. And they're saving about $1,000 in month two. Uh, you click on a summary to see a summary of what's going on in the scenario. And then these are all the reports. You can look at the blueprints. Um, these are additional advanced features that you probably won't have access to. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Estate Financial Planner Inside the Numbers for Episode 7 with Norman Norma buying an owner-occupant property and otherwise investing the rest of their money in stocks. Uh, this has been James Orr. Bye-bye for now. Oh, I almost forgot. You can download the newest version of the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet for free. Just go to realestatefinancialplanner.com 
forward slash spreadsheet to download it right now. It's amazing. Bye-bye for now.